0: You're listening to the High Power Archery Podcast. I'm your host, Angel Garcia, a USA Archery Certified Coach, inviting you to join us each week as we discuss various topics in the world of archery. Our goal in creating this podcast is to answer questions and provide insight, all with the intention of helping others enjoy the sport that has given so much to us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and send in your questions. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. Now on to the show. Hello, folks. It's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In a previous episode, we had members of the Staten Island Archery Association on for a live chat where we discussed different topics that they had, and we had a pretty good time doing that. And response to that episode it was so good, we decided to do this on a regular basis. So, this is the first episode of the Staten Island Archery Association Roundtable Chat. And it's pretty simple regular guys, shooters, from the Willowbrook Range over here, we're just going to be discussing different topics that we may want to go over, and we're also going to be answering listener questions at the same time. We really have a good time doing this sort of thing when we're at the range, so we figure why not put this on the podcast and get some information out to people at the same time. We think that going forward, this will be a big a big plus for uh, for the archery community here locally and anywhere else, as regular people get to ask questions and get answers from different points of view. We all have different experience levels and I think that we all have a really good time doing this. So without further ado, let's get on to the show. Okay, we're, we're having our first Staten Island Archery Association Roundtable Podcast. So we had so much fun with the guys the last time, we decided that we're going to go ahead and uh, make this a kind of regular thing maybe once a month or something like that. So I got uh, Joe and Angelo and Bobby on here and, uh, we're going to go through a bunch of questions that, you know, just basically go down any kind of path that we want. If there's a question that they got, I'll try to answer it. And we've got some other listener questions in here also. So where would you guys like to start? Oh, <laughs> well, why don't we
1: start with Bobby? Bobby had a question for you and then we can go into okay, that's fine. everybody else's uh, questions that uh, were sent to you. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, first, uh, hello guys. But, uh, my question is what's everybody's
0: shot process well like for me the shot process is a couple of things some people do it the some the subconscious stuff other people uh don't do the subconscious and they're just like well see it smack it done um you know i in different podcasts i actually talked about when we when we shoot and the way i teach my students to shoot after a while is um, using the Joel Turner method. So you have to have something that triggers that shot. But if you concentrate on slamming the trigger, it's never going to work. It gets wild. So I just tell them the same thing. The shot process that Joel Turner teaches um, in his Iron Mind course is relatively simple, but it involves drawing your bow. Once you're there, now you you feel if you feel good, then you got to say to yourself, all right. Here we go, we're we're gonna actually start the process. Once you turn that on, um, now you, you set your aim, and then it's just you're focusing on the center of the target. And in the back of your head, you, you gotta be like saying, pull and extend that 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 call to yourself. This way, that is just part of how you're how you're firing. And you know, I can shoot with a back tension release or I can shoot with a trigger, but if you shoot them exactly the same way, I mean you can punch either one. Um, but the pull action, if you're saying it it takes your, your mind off what you're actually doing and all you're really doing is relaxing your hand while keeping the, the thumb wrapped around the trigger and the actual pulling motion as you're pulling pulling back will will set it off. So we try to keep it simple like that if at any time, but you now a lot of people say once the shots going just let it go. What I tell people is if at any time it doesn't feel right or if it's taking too long, you have to be able to let the shot down. And that is the thing that most people can't do. They're like, oh, I can't do it. So I have people practice, let your shot down, let your shot down. If it's not perfect, then say, okay, fine. I have to have complete control, let it down. And when you get to hunting situations, that's especially important because if you're targeting an animal and all of a sudden he does something crazy, are you just gonna let it fly? because you'll probably miss or wound them the wrong way. If you have control over it, you can slowly let down and reset. Sometimes you don't get enough time to reset, but more, more often than not, if you do have control over your shot, you have plenty of time to do it.
2: Yeah, I drew on my bad three times before I got a shot.
0: Yeah. So, yeah,
2: three
0: times yeah. I draw yeah. back
1: you know, the down. Yeah, you know, the same thing. My shot process is a little funny too, because uh, again, I shoot a lot more um, indoors than outdoors. And, um, you know, you draw back, you anchor, you get comfortable. And I actually have to like, it's funny, I actually have to take a step with my right foot and get my stance comfortable. And then I can side in the target and take that shot. Um, if I don't take that step, that's part of my, my one, two, threes to take the shot. I need to take that step. It calms me, so to say. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little, that's a good little right. trigger. That's a just good my point. method. I realize I can take that step, lift my foot up, put my foot back down. And it's a small step. It's just like a little, like, I just pick my foot up, put it back down. So I'm comfortable in my stance to take that shot, breathe out, and that, and then on target and take the shot.
0: Yeah, I find that even with the youngest kids that I teach, um, if I give them a checklist to go through, so like, okay, one is your stance, two is draw the boat, three is come to anchor, for is concentrate on the target and start aiming. And they go through that little list. They start to learn to do it subconsciously and it becomes habit and it becomes very easy to do. But if you don't do that, you don't build some sort of mental checklist, you're going to skip things here and there. After a while, it becomes second nature to you, but you will skip some stuff. And then you realize, Oh, I wasn't pulling my shoulder back. I wasn't keeping my elbow in line. There's a lot of things that happen like that and that can throw you off completely. But uh, with everybody, you know, Everyone has their own shot process. That's why I teach people how to do it. And I say, now you have to adapt it to yourself. If you can do it the way I do it, fine. But everyone's not the same. No two people are the same. Some people will work for it and other people, they just have to adopt different steps in it to make it work for them. And that's how they develop as a shooter. It, it works for, for my young ones. It, it works for adults that I teach. And uh, I was working with, with somebody today and her, her shot process was basically draw back focus on the target and slam the trigger um but that's not her fault that's just how she was taught to do it and it's the first time that was working with her and within about four or five you know arrows of telling her well you got to do this you got to do she goes there's a lot of stuff that you have to do i'm like yeah but eventually once you know all the stuff it'll just come together and they'll all go in the same place so when she did it listening to the sound, i said listen just concentrate and listen to the sound of my voice for every single step and when we did that she was banging them right in the middle um at 20 yards whereas before what she was just doing hers they were kind of like in an eight inch group spread out and now she was able to focus in the middle so you can yeah, adopt a would... shot process yeah it, does.
1: it takes a bit practice. of
0: practice you know you can definitely adopt something that works for you um, so, you know, shot process like I said, it's it's individual, but you have to come up with something that you can do every single time. And there's little pieces of it that you learn as you come away come along and as you mature as an archer, you'll you'll see different things that you can do that will actually tweak it up. And I'm doing this 44 years, 45 years shooting and if you think that you ever get to a point where you're not learning anything anymore, that's when your shooting becomes stagnant. You always have to be trying to tweak something, learning, accepting new things that you might find. I hear things and I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound right. But sometimes I'll try it and I'm like, hey, you know what, this kind of makes, makes, makes sense. Let me try that. But if you ever get to the point where you stop learning, then that's where you're gonna have problems. You always have to be looking to improve it, improve it, improve it. Otherwise you'll never, you know, even if you're shooting 300 games and that sort of thing, you got to keep on trying to improve. Otherwise you're going to get lax in it and it's going to fall off. That's just the way I've always looked at things like that. Um, So we've got some listener questions and okay. The first one I'm going to edit a little bit on how I read it because she actually names the place that she went to and I know who they are and I'm not going to get into it but uh, this comes from Mary B and she says my daughter is eight years old she's been watching all the quote quote movies and really wants to learn archery we went and tried it at a place But all they did was give us a quick instruction talk and had them shoot. She had all kinds of problems, and they weren't really attentive to her. She wasn't happy, and I think it was a total letdown. Is there anywhere we can go where they specialize in young kids? Now that she's been out of school so long, we need to find an activity outdoors, and I think archery is great, but I don't want her to get hurt. Any advice is appreciated. Well, okay. Um, So a lot of archery ranges have – intro to archery that they do um and i find depending on where they're doing it it's kind of a mixed bag um you're either going to get people teaching it who are very into what they're doing and really want to help you or you're going to get other times when the instructor or whoever it is who's running the session may be like this is a bow this is an arrow pull it back that's it have fun and that's it um from the safety aspect, you have to have that long talk and there has to be some instruction. From my point of view, when it comes to younger kids, you got to be with them all the time if they've never done this before. I understand you want them to have fun and all that, but it's too easy for them to get hurt. And basically, you should look at reviews at different places and see where where people have experienced it before. At least that's what I'm saying. Now, now, Joe, you went to a place and learned archery the first time. And what was your experience? Did you think that that they taught you a lot, or they just say, here's a bow, here's the arrow, go for it?
3: Basically, it's more like, here's the bow, here's the arrow. Um, Just because, uh, I'm not a kid, obviously. So, I mean, a kid, as you say, needs a little bit more uh, attention. But, you know, it, it was basically the first half hour was just safety, you know, and they stressed the safety part of it. And, you know, everybody, has to go to the line and everybody retreats at the same time. House rule, one foot over the line, things like that. Um, and then they just went over basic form. I mean, very basic. I mean, it's, it was just more of an introduction to archery. I mean, what, they're really not gonna teach you much in the hour and a half. And it's usually it's a class of at least 20 people. So you have one instructor with 20 different people. Um, there's not much instruction but yeah. at least, at the very least, there it's it it starts you off on that right foot on if you're interested in, in in the sport of archery, which I totally loved. And in from that point, I was looking for my own bow and stuff like that. So it, it got a little bit more personalized at that point because you know, as you know, everybody knows it's it's every bow is fitted to every individual shooter. Shoot? Yep. And, you know, and that's one thing about when you go to learn at these places, they're giving you a very generic basic bow that's, you know, it's basically one one size fits all type thing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you're not, you're getting an idea of what archery is about, but you're not experiencing what it could really offer uh, until you get something specific to your needs.
0: Yeah, you know, and one thing that I keyed on when I when I saw the actual email and she sent it in was that she says she wasn't happy referring to, to the little girl uh, and it was a total letdown. So here she is and she gets an idea of what archery is from seeing it in movies. Either they're watching the Hunger Games or I forget the one where where the little girl's got the red hair and she's like the big time shooter, whatever it is. Brave. Brave, (laughs) there you go. That's a cartoon. (laughs) You know, and they they have an idea of it. And then like, I'm going to go do that. And I'm going to shoot bullseyes. And then they get there and they have a bad experience. And like, then they shy away for it. or, Or they, like, they're not taught to shoot right. And they slap an arm. And, you know, to an adult, maybe they can take an arm slap once or twice. I know adults who have quit after one slap if it was really hard. Um, But I can imagine what that does to a kid. And it's not always the place's fault where you're going to do it. But you got to do some checking to see, well, are there too many people there that day? Is she not going to get any kind of attention? And I'm not saying that you have to go out and hire a coach, you know, for the first timer. Um, that's not necessary because sometimes some coaches charge a lot to do that, That, but it's not necessary for, for a young child to go ahead and go through all that expense. If you feel better that they'll get the one-on-one sure, no problem. But in most cases you can find find a place that'll do it and give you some attention. A lot of places just separate those classes into kids and adults. So they give more attention to the kids and make sure that they don't hurt themselves and they actually get it. And with children, I find after one or two little things you're telling them, they can start doing it on their own and they'll remember they pick up fast. But uh, yeah, we never want to see a kid have a bad experience. So to Mary, if she's listening to this, I'd say do some research. And you didn't say where you were from, but uh, if you're here in Staten Island, then just go to our re- website and register. And you know, we give a free lesson to any kid who wants to take one, or any adult doesn't make a difference. Yeah, and, uh, we will do the one-on-one for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a similar situation to Joe, but it, mine's a little bit better experience. I've been shooting for about seven years now, and when I first went, the lesson was um, the same, the same thing, place to place. But um, I had a little bit better experience. They, they showed me and my wife together at the same time taught us taught us both, and again, we used on the training bows that are available and and I, as you guys know i 'm not a small man, so that little <laughs> thing in my hand uh, was pretty funny, so we did with the lesson the first time, shot at five yards, and then we were we had uh, we had the privilege of being able to move to uh, ten and then twenty yards with the practice bows because at the time there wasn 't a lot of people there. Well, I had shot three Sundays in a row with the practice bow. And I was like, all right, this is something we both want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to buy something. Yeah. And got a little bit of, 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 of more one-on-one experiences. Cause again, going three times in a row, um, you shoot what you take the lesson the first time, and then you can shoot thereafter the next time. Um, so all right, I'm dropping my elbow, uh, not keeping my form right. They were helping us through those weeks. And the, the best part of the story is, all right, I finally need to buy my own bow. I pick something out. They set it up for me. And I go from shooting a training bow to something that's got a 55-pound draw. Yeah. And I took that bow for the first time, took that shot. And, they, and, and another buddy of mine was like, you're going to go over to the one side at 20 yards. You're going to take that shot. And, and it's going to surprise you. I'm like now. How much different could it possibly be? When I took that shot, I almost threw the bow down the range. I again, you guys know me as, and I'm not a small man. And I was like, oh my god, that is so much more powerful. I was not expecting it to be as much as it was. And then you know, you continue with your learning, your experiences, and getting better and better at it. And any advice that we can, any advice that we can give is don't give up. Have your have that little one. Try again, try to find some place
3: else to go, absolutely, yeah, I mean I, I really do think I mean just because i 'm an adult, so i 'm like, okay, I got introduced to the, to the sport. I took it upon myself to learn to to pick up techniques and stuff like that, not that pe not that the instructors showed me, but just in talking with different people. Um, little things that, that helped me out that proved my shot over the course of time. Now, once again, I'm, I'm probably the youngest, I'm probably the least experienced of the little, of the group here, um, shooting only three years. So, but I, I feel I've come a long way. Um, even for my starter bows that it's leaps and bounds better than, than the Genesis bows that typically you'd find at these, at these uh, ranges. And, you know, once again, it's at the, once you get a piece of equipment that's fitted to you uh, it just it's so dramatically better and you know I don't know what angel I don't know what you usually would would fit a, a kid with but it, it makes all the difference and you know and once again having that private or small small class instruction yeah for Maybe. the kids mm-hmm. I, I really do think that's very beneficial
0: yeah you know it's not like a one size fits all especially with young kids so i'll bring four different bows down and i'll have one if it's a very very young child it's called a bear brave it's really really just a little recurve or i'll have another recurve it's like a 15 pound recurve or i'll have the genesis bow and i can use any one of those and adults use the genesis and they also use the recurve so whatever fits them best you have to have options for it um but I do find that if if you see get that spark and they're like, oh yeah, I like this, you know, then they'll they'll want to come back and they'll want to do it more and more. And in the end, that's that's what it's all about. But uh, yeah, I've I've seen you know classes where they just don't care. I hate to say it like that. And I've seen others where you know you can tell someone's really passionate about what they're doing and wants to get in there and help people. Um, but there's all different types and there's different flavors of of classes out there. You just have to find the one that matches you. Um, I will admit I have gone to one of those classes once or twice, not going to say where, um, accompanying one of my students who said that, you know, they couldn't believe, you know, what was going on. And I posed as someone who didn't know what they were doing. And the stuff I saw, I was not happy with. And I actually went to the owner of the place and said, do you have any idea what your kids who are teaching people to shoot are doing? And the guy says, he the guy who owned the place didn't actually know what was happening cuz he he says all oh, right, i got i got this guy doing the class he knows what he's doing I'm like yeah no it wasn't working and then he recognized me and he knows what i do he's like oh we have a problem like yes you do and it's not my business or anything like that but you know j- just for the sake of the people coming here to do it try to fix it they corrected it since then they don't have a problem anymore but you know occasionally i'll sneak in and do the undercover <laughs> check to see what's going on i i just get a cheap thrill out of it but uh and sometimes a good laugh when they're like gee it looks like you, you're gonna have a really good time doing this it looks like you've done something like this before i'm like just a little bit <laughs> you know, yeah, don't, like don't
1: think you're the only one that does that my wife does, <laughs> my wife does that for her business too she does a little sneaking around every once in a while to see things.
0: okay the the next question we got comes from daniel h again doesn't say where he has where he's at um Folks, when you when you leave a submission on the website, if you have a question, tell us where you're from. I, maybe I'll just put another field in there. It's we're kind of curious, but it says I just started shooting in November. Sounds like someone who took their course in November. My first season will be this fall. When should I start practicing regularly, and how do I? How long do I need to practice? How many times a week? Well, the season, if he's referring to deer season, starts in September. We are now in July, so. You should have started technically two months ago, but really you should be shooting all year round anyway. But since that we're already past that bridge, then I would say start and try to go as often as you possibly can. You have to hone your shooting skills and know what your effective range is and get yourself, your body in shape for it. What happens is if you don't shoot regularly and you lay it down for a month or two, even four months i mean there are people don't get me wrong and bobby you know there's people like this for a fact that don't pick up their bow except for like a week before hunting season and then they don't they put it down after the hunting season's over and they kill deer every year um and there's nothing wrong with that but to the average person you should be practicing as often as possible and a lot of people think it's just for hunting but as you guys have seen there's 3D you can shoot year-round. There's target shooting indoors. There's all kinds of different games you can you can play in this sport to keep you going and keep you sharp. So it shouldn't just be, well, I pick it up a month or two before season so I can do this and it's reduced to another hunting implement. There's a lot more you can have fun with. But um, since we're in July right now, I think that our local range at Willowbrook, you'll start seeing it get more and more packed because as we get to the close you know, the, clo- the, the close start of the season, you start to get all these guys showing up over there and where you might only have 20 people show up on a Sunday. Now that line is going to be full with 50 or 75 people in there. And then that's what you get. And I'm sure you guys have seen that before towards this time of year. Um, oh, yeah. As col- get,
2: closer closer you get to hunting season, the more and more people you'll see. But uh, my advice to Daniel, his name um, – my advice would be at least once a week. Shoot, try to shoot at least once a week. And if he has a little space in his maybe basement or in his garage, just take a few shots per night because now yep. it's getting closer to hunting season and just to get your muscles worked up. Yep. I know right after the winter, I felt a little, like, weak on my drawing and holding the bow up because I didn't shoot for two months, you know, yep. which I should shoot all year round. But with work and snow season and everything like that, I, you know, I plow snow and, and stuff like that with sanitation. Um, I don't get to, you know, shoot as much, but, you know, I uh, I would say, you know, I, I would um, do some curls, some tricep extensions just to get warmed up. That's what I was doing. Like right before I started shooting, I was doing some bicep curls, tricep extensions just to get warmed up and then shoot at least once a week and then, maybe in your basement, throw a few shots. That's, that's what I was starting to do to get, get involved. But now being close to the season, as much as you can get to the range as many times you can, like I said, you know, one or two shots in your basement after dinner or something, it goes a long way.
0: It does. And the other thing I would add to that is um, if you haven't picked up your bow in a while, just don't assume that it's been sleeping in its case all this time and it's going to be fine when you break it out after six months of sitting in in the dark and you can shoot it again. Bows will come out of tune very easily if they're exposed to heat, um, if they've been laying around, that sort of thing, and you have to fix all that. So the first thing I would say is if you haven't picked up your bow yet for the season, check it out, make sure it's shooting normally, make sure your aiming points are all on and all that's good Um, because a bow that has been sitting for a while it might have a problem. And the other thing that we used to do back in the day was we used to you know, take a couple turns off the limbs if we're gonna store the bowl for, for a while and not shoot it. This preserves the integrity of the limbs. You don't really have to do that that much anymore, but I still see some people who let their bow fall out of whack or do something weird. Um, take it to a shop, have them look at it. Again, this is kind of the wrong time to start during the year because in another week or two, if you go to most bow shops, if they're open after all the stuff that's going on, uh, they're gonna be packed. Yeah, go, during
2: the go during the week,
0: absolutely right. On a on a weekend, they'll be packed. I mean, right now, you know, I've been reconstructing and remodeling the shop over here at the house, and I don't have anybody coming down down here because we're closed because of the whole COVID thing. So we've been taking the opportunity to to rebuild. But um I've got bows that are mailed to me for me to tune them and that sort of thing, and you know. I got bows coming from people from from out of state, that sort of thing, I've got nine bows sitting here waiting to be tuned that I have to start working on. So if I'm a small operation like this, imagine what happens when you just go walking into on a Saturday afternoon, a bow shop that actually happens to be open and all these guys are panicking the second week in August. How much time do you think they're actually gonna give you? Not a lot, and it's not their fault, it's just that they're so busy. so that's why you have to be responsible for your equipment and you have to know your equipment. And the more you shoot, the more you will know your equipment. Like today I was, you know, yesterday I helped Joe with something on his bow. And he says, there's something not right about, you know, you're going to be down at the field and sure as anything, there, there was something not right with it. It wasn't what you thought, but it happened to be a loud noise and it happened to be the rest. And we fixed that. But you see, Joe, you know, your bow well enough that you know when something's off. <laughs> Yeah, that happened, to, that
1: happened to me two weeks ago. All of a sudden, we were shooting, and I kept hearing a weird uh, a weird noise, and I was checking this and checking that and uh, checking the stabilizers, checking the shocks, checking the rest. And, and I took another shot, and it made the noise again. Neglected to look at the string stop. Just neglected. I didn't look at the string stop. Turns out the set screw for the string stop came loose, and it was, it was bouncing around, but it wasn't coming out. So the string was hitting it making all kinds of noises. I could feel the vibration. And once we figured it out, tightened it up, everything back to normal.
0: And, you know, um, Joe had asked me to look at his bow and it turns out he, he shot so much because the guy who shoots year round is dedicated to shooting that he, uh, he stretched out the strings on his bow. <laughs> he outshot it. So it's time for another string set. And if you're going to replace your strings, now's the time to do it and not a week before season, not during the season. Um, so we're going to get them all fixed up. But that's one of those things. Check your equipment. Make sure everything's cool. And he just switched new arrows and all that, so he wants it perfect before the hunting season. And we're gonna do that for him. I want a, I want a perfect, like like two weeks from now, so I could actually work with a. It'll be perfect. perfect this bow week, Don't worry. As and soon get as like,
3: tuned in to what what I need to do.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> as soon as your strings come in, we'll we'll throw them on there, tune it, and then you can go. You know, dandy out there every single day (laughs) and just stretch them out again. That's all I'm going to say. Generally, a set of strings will last you a couple of years. But uh, if you shoot a lot, you can shoot them out in a year. Um,
3: By all means, mm -hmm. it's it's very important for people to understand before they go hunting to get their bow tuned and make sure everything's good. I mean, to, to go to a reputable person that knows equipment, not just any five-by-nine people. Um, I mean, obviously high power archery is really good for that, um, but it, it's just very important for people to have their equipment working the way it should be. Oh, you, yeah. you owe it to your hunt. You owe it to that animal to make sure that everything is working properly with the equipment that you, you're using. Um, you know, It's not just about you know going down a range and throwing arrows. You want to do as best as you possibly can. Yep. Um, yeah, and, uh, it's very out important to, That you get an experienced person looking at your bow for that.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: Bye, Bobby. You'll,
2: you'll find out real quick if your bow's out of tune right before, like, you know, before hunting season, you should shoot your broadheads. And with your broadheads, you'll find out if your bow's out of tune and you're shooting from a tree stand and that escalates everything, you know, and throws, throws off your bow. And, you know, if it's not tuned, you'll definitely know that your arrow is is
0: going wild. Right, Angel? Yep. And funny that you should say something. We'll have a whole other podcast on just, you know, tuning for for broadheads. But funny you should mention that with the tree stand because our next question comes from Mark P. And he (laughs) he says, love the podcast. Was wondering if there's any difference in how you aim from a tree stand. Never shot from one before. Only my third year, and the place I'm going to in Kentucky is tree stand only. Will it be a problem? Yeah. Well, if... I think that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. um, he's, going, he's only <laughs> shot from the ground in blinds before, and he's going to a place in Kentucky where all they allow you to shoot from is tree stands. Yes, I've heard of that, and I think I know the place he's going to. Um, it's just the way they're set up for it. So, yeah, there's a big difference in shooting from a tree stand. And if you've mm-hmm. never done it before, you need to start practicing that.
2: ASAP, ASAP. Stop practicing ASAP for that hunt. I, I've never done it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the view that you get from the tree stand, estimating ranges, you better have a range finder with you, um, how you shoot, what angles you're shooting at, that's all very important. Now, if you ha- if you belong to a, to a range that has a tree stand um, set up that you can safely shoot from, that'll give you the experience there. If you have your own private property, obviously go up in the tree stand, uh, whether it's a permanent one or a climber and see how it works and see how you shoot. Put out put out your targets and see if you're hitting it where you want. What I will say is that when you're in a tree stand, the angles at which you're shooting are very important. When you're on the ground and you're shooting at an animal that's you know broadside to you, you can go right through both lungs, but now you're you're looking from a tree stand, you don't have that same view. And if you aimed in the same place you would aim when you're shooting from the ground, you're probably only gonna catch one lung or you're gonna have a very poor hit because the concept I teach people is, if you're aiming at the vitals of an animal, um, aim for the exit point. Don't aim for where you normally put it. And why that happens is if you look at your exit point, you can see if I want double lungs and he's far enough away, I'll aim from the top and I'll aim for the, for the bottom of the exit point and it'll go out and it'll catch everything on the way out. And that's, what, that's how I teach people to do it. Also common to a lot of people when you're in a tree stand for the first time, they throw form right out the window. So you're shooting on flat ground and you're drawing back and it's all good. It's all perfect. And then you go up into the tree stand and what's the first thing they do? They leave their arm down, they draw back and they don't straighten out. You know, they don't get a good form on there and they wind up, you know, they wonder, Whoa, what, what happened to my shot? I went right over them. I went right under them. And it's because of the form that you're using form is very critical when you in a tree stand. So for those who don't know how to do it, what I tell them is, draw straight straight across like you would if you were shooting on flat ground, and then tilt and aim and fire, and that'll keep your form in place. Um, the other thing is equipment comes into it. And remember we were talking with, with Aaron on that last podcast and he says a lot of guys don't, you know, they don't care about the third axis with the type of sight that the EZV is. Well, if you're using a regular pin sight, you had better care about third axis <laughs> because if you don't know what third axis is and it's not set on your bow if it has the ability on the site um, you could wind up shooting downhill and miss two feet to the left because how that site curves when it's pointing down is a big deal and I don't know if any of you guys have ever had to set the third axis on a site or anything like that, but if you shoot with a bow whose third axis is a little bit off, and you shoot at an angle, where it's downhill or uphill or from a tree stand, there's a big difference. So yeah, my, that's,
1: my side is uh, three axis. So.
0: Yeah, and, and you shoot that because if you're just shooting flat, it really doesn't really matter. But if you're shooting down angles, if you're shooting up angles, or shooting from an elevated tree stand, third axis does play a big part um, with most pin sights. So that's something that he's got to get used to. So to Mark, I would say start practicing in tree stand, practice your shot, practice your form, practice getting used to seeing what it looks like up there because what you think is 10 yards may not be 10 yards and what you think is 50 is probably not 50. So range it and get used to how, how far something is. Um, if you have a range finder, that's great. If you have time to work with the animal and know where it is. If you don't, then range different landmarks, know where they are. So if an animal crosses in front of it, you know how far it is, and that'll keep you going. But by all means, do practice. You guys got any other comments on that one?
2: Oh yeah, um, you know, I know Kentucky's a that's an awesome trip. That's that's big. So yeah, everything, everything in this power to you know get up get a tree stand, or figure out a way to shoot from a tree stand and practice from a tree stand. You know. Far away and close in, even like the ten yard shots, the eight yard shots, those are the hard those are the hardest from a tree stand. So set up your bag target eight yards away and start with that. You know. And then also another tip, aim a touch low, a click low. You know, aim at the heart of a deer, a whitetail. Um and you'll catch the lungs and, and the heart, you know. Cause the arrow tends to go a touch high yep. when you shoot from a tree stand, right? Angel yep, uh, it does. You know, but definitely work on practicing from a tree stand you know getting to a range that has a, a tree stand maybe you borrow a climber get get up in a tree and practice for kentucky that that's uh, that's uh, my advice you know yeah quick. and you know it's nothing nothing better than experience from shooting from a tree stand you, know, you get up there it's a different feeling your your you know your foundation your stance are not the same you're a little closer together and you have to bend a little bit at the hip exactly what angel yeah. says and and you no, know, when you shoot and you're 20 yards and your range fighters says 20 yards and your arrows are hitting slightly high, you have to adjust to that a little bit. You know, it might be an inch, it might be two inches, but it's just something to keep in mind. And then when you're at eight yards, oh, you know what? With my 20 yard pin, I got to aim three inches low, four inches low. It depends on your bow and setup. But uh, those are all things you got to practice. And uh, Kentucky's a really good trip. Good luck with that. And uh, let us know. Let yeah. High Power know how you do.
0: For sure, um, the next question I have here comes from Craig N, and it says, "I shoot a Hoyt Carbon Spider that I bought used off of eBay. Oh boy, um, my old bow fit me so much better, but this one feels real short. They say it's a 28, but my old bow was a 28-inch draw and fits way further back of my face, and just feels better to shoot. Ooh, can I just lengthen the loop or something to make up the difference?" couple of things there. Um, he bought the bow off eBay. What I would say is what's done is done. Fine. Now, don't worry about how we got here. Let's worry about how we fix that. Just because a bow says it is 28-inch draw does not mean it really is or that it hasn't been altered in some way. But if you go ahead and you and you try it out and you find it and you have it measured on a draw board, it probably is right there at 28. The difference is the angle at which it fits your face may be different depending on the axle to axle length. So you guys know, I always shoot long bows, um, my 35 inch, you know, Evo NXT. I, I Most guys like to shoot like the 31s or the 33s. I shoot 35 because I'm a target shooter and I'm just used to the long axle to axle. But the other reason I shoot that is because the string angle is mo- more comfortable on my face. If you go from something that's like a 34 inch axle to axle and something that's like a 20, like a 28 or a 30, that string angle is way more acute. And when you have something like that happen, um, it could throw off the way the bow feels. So that's why I say, before you buy something, try it. See what the fit is about um, and see how it fits on you. Because sometimes in one manufacturer where a 28 would fit you fine at a particular axle to axle length, a 20 28 and a half or 27 and a half might fit you better it really depends on on a couple of different factors for that but in this case he bought it off ebay and he says that the old bow fit him much better um and he's so what he's kind of saying is short well if you take it to somebody who knows how to work on the bows they may be able to lengthen the draw slightly some cams you can't the module is the module and that's all it really ever, is ever going to be um So you might have a little wiggle room, you might not. Just lengthening the D-loop, depending on the situation, is probably not a good idea. Your draw length has got to be set properly and lengthening the D-loop. You're not going to put a two-inch D-loop on something because it's way short on you. I could not tell you what to do to it until I saw what it is. Um, You know, take it into somebody who knows what they're doing, let them look at it and let them suggest what's going on. And if you don't like what they tell you, like if they say, this bow is no good, you gotta buy yourself another bow, go somewhere else, get another opinion, see what they say. Because don't trust what you hear the first time. Um, Not saying anybody's out there to do any wrong, but someone's opinion of what could be wrong with it or what remedy there is may not be the only one. There may be a different remedy someone else can try for you. But just putting another piece of D-loop on there that's like two and a half inches longer, see if that's gonna work, I don't think that's gonna work. Um, and in today's world, people buy used bows all the time. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it fits you. Um, you guys go down to the range as often as I do, and I know you've seen people down there with bows that you say, how is this guy shooting that because it does not fit him? You I can see
1: literally him. see it sometimes with people that, that they've got equipment in their hands that's just not right, either too long or too short. And more more times than not, it's, a, it's, uh, it's shorter than long, I guess, yeah. that's the way people – the, they'll be set up or, or somebody's telling them that's how it's going to be. Uh, it's very interesting. I, and to, just to reiterate on what you said before, I have the same thing, flipping back from my parallel limbo to my target bow, which is um, a much longer axle to axle. Um, it fits my face. Each bow fits my face differently. I, the string goes in a different location on each bow.
0: Yep. And... Like I said, take it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Get an opinion on it, and go from there. See what happens. Um, but you'll see people who are shooting bows that the draw is way too long or way too short. And sometimes it's a simple adjustment if you have a, a, a cam that can be the draw length is adjustable. Other times it's not. On some of the older white bows, you literally had to change the limbs the cams, um, the strings, cables, the whole nine yards to, to get an extra two inches out of something. So like I said, go to somebody who knows what they're doing um, for that sort of thing. Otherwise, I think you're going to wind up in a world of disappointment. And uh, if you did buy this and hopes to use it for the hunting season, now's the time to get it resolved, get it all fixed up. Um, don't go, you know, hoping it's going to work itself out. If it doesn't fit you, it doesn't feel comfortable, it, you're not gonna shoot right with it. It's gotta be comfortable when you're drawing it, it's gotta be comfortable when uh, when you're shooting. So it, bow fitment is the ultimate when it comes to how well someone's gonna shoot. Um, at the same time, I will take this opportunity to mention, I've seen a lot of people, including one or two today, which brought really, really pain to my heart to see where people are drawing a bow back, and it is so much weight for them that they have no business shooting it. And that's a big problem. Um, you'll see guys who, who, when you ask them, uh, well, what bow do you want to order? Whatever. You say, well, what's out there? And they're like, you get it in 60 pounds, 70 pounds, or 80 pounds. Give me the 80. And um, yeah, they can't draw it back. That's a problem. I look at it like this. If you're sitting on a chair and you pick your feet up, and you can draw the bow back. Cool. If you can't draw the bow back with your feet up in the air when sitting on a chair, that draw is too heavy for you. And it happens all the time. If the draw is too heavy, two things will happen. One, you probably won't get more than one shot off. Two, if you're in the woods and it happens to be very cold, yeah, your muscles aren't warmed up. That bow, which is 80 pounds, draw will feel like it's 200 pounds draw, it'll feel like a rock when you try to pull it back. So if you're not conditioned and you're not up to that, then I would say wind it down a little bit, whatever the manufacturer allows, the spec allows, get it down. So like sometimes with PSC, our bow ranges, as far as the weight, you're allowed 10 turns on it. 10 turns could be 10 pounds, 12 pounds. And that makes a big deal. Your cams are not performing optimally but you'll be able to draw it back and work your way up a little bit at a time. But I think you guys have seen people on the range before who can't draw back the weights they have, or they're like drawing up into the sky, trying, trying to draw a bow back. And that's not not fun.
1: You see a lot of people at the outdoor range really struggling to pull back some bows and just, you know, with the, with the small amount of experience I have, it's amazing that you see people that, that, that struggle so much. And uh, you must have seen it for years, Angel, how much that, that's, because this goes oh, on.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I've seen it for years. And then somebody had mentioned, um, I've seen it on YouTube or whatever before. But first time I ever heard this, the guy says, if you have to give so much effort to fire one shot, what's going to happen, like in a, even in a tournament shooting situation, if you have to give so much effort to get that shot right, then you think you can really carry that through, through 60 shots in the same tournament or 30 shots in the same tournament, it becomes almost impossible. So drawing something is too heavy, it doesn't fit right, will just lead to bad execution problems. So you have to, you have to have the right fit for you. And I said, it it happens a lot, mostly with the hunting stuff, because people, you know, there's that machismo factor. I want to get this because it's 80 pounds and this dude shoots it. And, you know, if I buy a 60, then people are not going to think as much of me. They're going to think I'm weak. Dude, the only person who's looking at you when you're shooting a bow is you. And the only person who knows what the weight on that bow is you. So you don't have to share that
1: information if you don't want to.
0: No, and and if you have it marked on your limbs, put a piece of tape over it so nobody can see it while you're going to retrieve your arrows. I don't care. It's you have to be comfortable and you have to be repeatable. If you can't repeat the shot the same way, in and out, day in and day out, you're never going to be successful when it comes to archery. So,
1: right. That's
2: big. Uh, big. Like right from the first step of drawing your bow, like I. I'm getting in the habit now of drawing, pointing my bow, pointing my arrow at the target, holding it straight and drawing straight back to my face. No extra movements and that's it. And that's very repeatable. It's not sky drawing, it's not drawing low. And that's that's changing your anchor point, that's changing your, your arrow, but just straight to your face. I point my bow at the target and like for a second, my bow is up at the target. It might look weird for a second. And then I just draw
3: straight back and it also good. gives you more time on the target itself because i mean a person can only hold it for what but realistically between five and eight seconds or something like that before oh, your no, arms no. really start yeah. getting tired
2: exactly
3: but, but
2: to get a good aim on the target yeah
0: yeah, yeah it's, it's it's one thing to get the bow drawn back it's another to hold it um and then the excuse people use is well some of the bows that that are out right now they have 90 percent let off psc most of our bows have 90 percent let off but when what you don't realize when you're shooting is like even though my bows can run 90 percent let off i usually run the low let off mods on them because if you use 90 percent let off and you just it's great for hunting but at the same time if you're shooting it repeatedly you'll notice that it lets you get very very sloppy so you won't be holding back all the time you'll start to collapse but you won't realize what you're doing when you're on a very demanding cam or you don't have much lead off, then you're feeling every inch of that, and you have to. It's, it's demanding enough to keep you honest, that's what I say. And then you're able to shoot better. But that's this, that's a flavor for someone who's used to start shooting target. That sort of thing can happen, but uh, again, when it comes to the weight of the bow, shoot what fits you and what works for you. You don't have to go crazy on that sort of thing. Um, but we see it all the time, you know. I, I've actually seen people, you remember one thing. If you don't have the strength to pull back that bow you could possibly and this this is the problem you could very possibly um draw back the bow crooked and derail the bow and that's the last thing you want to do because when you derail the bow the bow literally explodes it'll the the string will come off the cam and it'll slam it all that energy's got to go somewhere if you have an arrow in there it'll You know, it'll usually absorb some of it, but the cams may be damaged. If you don't have an arrow in there, then it'll literally destroy the bow. Um, And I've seen that at the range a couple of times where guys have brand new bows, but it was too much weight for them. And they drew it back and boom, bow went off. They're like, oh, something's wrong with the bow. I'm like, no, you, you pulled it too far to one side and it came off the cams. Some companies have developed serious cam tracks in there where they're very deep, and that takes care of that because now you can't pull it off the site. But guess what? You can derail those too if you're not careful. So if you un- it's got to be a balanced system. If you unbalance something, something can bite you, and you don't want that sort of thing to happen. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I see a lot, especially this time of year. It's not a real surprise, but uh, if you're honest with yourself and you're good enough and you know you can do that, and like I said, I've got a couple of my young my young girls who are students and they're taught how to draw properly and they can pick up a bow that guys can't pick up and they can draw it like it's butter. And they're like, well, they have proper technique and they built up for it. But again, shoot what you're comfortable with and within your own capabilities. So if you've never drew an 80 pound bow before, don't go ordering one. Just order something to the weight that you've already done before. And that goes for its target or a 3D bow, or a hunting bow it, do, it doesn't really make a difference when it comes to that. Also, before the hunting season, and this kills me and Joey should pay attention to this one because it trust me it, it is important. If you've net you should always simulate how you're going to hunt when you're practicing, at least close to the season. What I mean by that is, if you're going to be shooting from a tree stand, shoot from a tree stand. If you're going to be shooting with gloves on when you're when you're hunting, try shooting with the gloves on. It's a completely different feel in the hand. And the last thing you want, last thing you want is to shoot like that. And then like, Oh, I can't do that. And it's a touchy subject, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. In the days of COVID-19 that we've experienced, a lot of people have to stay home. So they're not getting as much physical fitness as they normally would. What happens is your hunting clothes that you had uh, last year, You should really try shooting in them because you may find that you have bulked up a little bit. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Uh, You've bulked up a little bit. And um when you try to draw that bow, like, ooh, I can't reach my arm around. The clothes are too tight. Um I'm not making a joke out of it. It actually happens to people, whether or not you know it's in one of the one of these things that we're having right now or anything like that. Um, unless you practice the actual situation. You're going to be in. So if you got a, a thick hunting jacket you could be wearing because you're hunting in the fall, then you should really try shooting it. See what it what it uh, what it does to you. I actually, at one point, if I'm hunting late into the year and I'm too lazy to do that, so I don't hunt in like November and December anymore. Uh, I usually do all my hunting in September, October, and I'm done. But if I have to hunt until late November when it's like 13 degrees out there or 4 degrees with the wind chill, um, I wear very heavy uh hunting jackets but i'll actually shorten my draw down by about a half inch because i can't draw back as far with those things so your draw is a little bit compressible, funny and if you don't practice shooting like that or practice shooting in those clothes it's a big difference and sometimes it takes people by surprise how many people do you know okay perfect example you guys go down to the range uh some of you wear hats when you're at the range some of you don't um shooting in a hat and shooting without one are two different things. Yeah, and, if you, and if you've never done it before, it can be shocking. So I understand that, you know, when you're at the range and you're practicing and you're all good and that's fine. Um, but then it comes hunting season, you put on all different stuff that if you've never put on before uh, and you try to shoot like that, it's night and day and it ain't gonna work. Mm-hmm. So that's that happens a lot. So always simulate what you gonna be doing at the range, just so you know it's fine. I mean, even when I teach the hunter safety course, I tell people, when you're you have to simulate everything you're gonna do. Even if you're gonna go rifle hunting, you know, and you're in the dead of winter or whatever it is, how long can you sit like that? Do you get cold? Okay, fine. Say the same week you're gonna go hunting, go out there in the coldest weather possible and sit outside for an hour without moving, maybe two hours. Are you oh, you getting get cold, cold very fast. Are you getting cold? Guess what? It's going to be worse when you're sitting there three and four hours and you can't move your legs all of a sudden because you're a popsicle. So simulate as much as you can. And it'll in the end, it will work out for you. But these are all things that you learn with time, um, With the especially with shooting. With the advent of youtube and stuff like that there's a lot of good information out there for people who have never shot before you can go to to knock on archery and that's john dudley is a resource over there and he's got a ton of videos to show you how to shoot nothing substitutes for having a coach there to show you what you're doing wrong it's like you can't learn karate out of a book is the old saying you can't learn archery off a of video specifically but whereas before people just like picked up the bow and shot it shot the arrow whatever It can be a big help and there's a lot of things that he teaches in his course that that'll help you and it's all free Which is great because that's something that we didn't have when I was a kid Um, but it's there at the same time beware of the stuff that's out there because There is a lot of bad stuff on youtube, too I mean everything from how to build an arrow to how to tune a bow some of the stuff is downright dangerous So you have to be careful, especially when it comes to bow tanning. If you have no experience doing it yourself, take it to a professional. The odds are you can damage the bow or something bad will happen. Um, One of my first podcasts, I mentioned that there was a guy out there who, who used to tell people and he did it in the video. Well, just draw your bow back like this. If you have to make some some adjustments to your string, draw the bow back and have somebody shove a screwdriver inside your cam and let it down. And the screw screwdriver will take, stop the cam from turning and you can just work on it and then just pull it back and have them drop out the screwdriver. I'm like, yeah, how many bank cams have I seen because of stuff like that? And I'm pretty sure he's out of business. If he's not, he should be, but, uh, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about, you know, so, you know, you live and you learn, you you know, some stuff, but someone who's new to it can't recognize what's good and what's bad out there. And that's why sometimes going to professional is worth it. Um, Or go to someone who's been doing it for a long time, one of your buddies or something like that. Not all the advice they're going to give you is going to be good, but some of it will be. And hopefully you can go from there. But I know you guys have seen all kinds of crazy stuff. You probably Joe, if you spent any time on YouTube, when you were first learning how to do this, you must've gotten overwhelmed by stuff on there, but absolutely, uh, <laughs> a lot of good, a lot of bad, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I wouldn't do my brakes on my car based on a YouTube video. Would you take apart your bow based on that? Probably not. Um, uh, remember bows under a lot of pressure. So unless you have the specific tools to do it, don't. And that's why I teach seminars on how to work on your bow and stuff like that, um, because if you don't see it and you don't do it with your own hands it's almost impossible to learn a lot of videos simple stuff tying in peeps stuff like that but they leave out certain things and if you don't know those things they're leaving out it's kind of important but uh that's just the sort of thing that goes on well you know any other things you guys want to bring up
1: just uh tonight.
0: no real or,
3: quick i mean it, it was uh, a question that i actually po- i asked you guys uh Bobby and you, regarding like you have hunting clothes, and yep. I was like, I'm thinking like I'm looking in the supermarket, I'm looking for something that's unscented, but that's not the case. Yep. It's like when I posted a question between you two, you 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 jumped on it like like, don't wash your clothes. Wait a minute, use this, use this, use this. Um, just because I mean it, it, it's not just a matter of something being unscented, um that you know it is a lot of different things that go along with it um which i didn't know a few days ago um that maybe somebody listening to this also was in the same same uh spot you know they're just going hunting for the first time and scent does mean a big 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 deal um oh yeah so you know just once again i mean maybe you guys want to touch on that a little bit but uh you know, for the person that's going hunting for the first time, if they want to be successful, um, little tips like this mean they go a long way.
0: Oh, yeah. And like I said, there's uh, again, for every industry, there's a lot of gimmick stuff. There's a lot of simple stuff. Um, there's products you can buy to, to, to wash it scent free. They'll take away the UV. They won't give you a UV reflection on it. Um, tons of different brands. And just because something costs more doesn't mean it's better. The best the best example you can ever get is from someone who's already used it. So like I use dead down wind or some of the other stuff, and they have kits you can buy and they include deodorant and stuff like that. But wash it, what I usually tell people though to do with this sort of thing, and I don't know if you do this, Bobby, but I will run the washing machine with just with a regular, you know, just a water load, no, no, uh, no detergent in or anything like that to clean out the scent of the detergent that was in there before. <laughs> you know, run it on a full cycle with just water.
1: No soap inside the machine.
0: Yeah, no mm-hmm. soap inside the machine. It'll clean out whatever soap was left inside the machine, and then put in your your special detergent that you just bought and do it according to the instructions. Especially, especially, pay attention to the washing instructions of the clothes you buy. If you buy expensive clothes that are scent lock. They have certain washing instructions that have to be adhered to. Sometimes the fabric will break down if you don't do it the right way, things that you don't want to happen. And if you ever priced out what scentlock stuff costs, it's really expensive. So you don't want to throw your investment away like that. But, um, you know, it's. It's about reading the instructions and it says, okay, after I've done all this and I washed it, I have to activate the charcoal that's in the scent lock stuff. You have to throw it in the dryer for a while to heat it up and then that activates it again you're good to go. But the best part, the, be- the best advice I can give anybody and Bobby, you can tell him what you think of, of your own way of doing this. My way is wash it, dry it. I take it and I hang it outside for a while, preferably yeah. somewhere you know exposed to the same type of smells in the environment you're going to be in. Um, sometimes it smells like gasoline outside or something like that Somebody, your neighbor's working on his car you don't want to hang them out there when that's happening um, but if you don't have access to somewhere where you can get them to the same environment then immediately after you wash them and they're dried, stick them inside a scent free bag, zip them up and leave them like that until you get up get state or wherever you're going um, if you have to take a little trip out, say if you're in Staten Island and, and you're going to be hunting in New Jersey Take a little trip out to New Jersey. It's the same place you're going to be hunting. Gather up some of the dead leaves. Take that sort of thing. Stick it, you know, be careful there's no ticks in them or anything like that and shove it inside the bag. It'll grab the scent of the leaves. So it's all about cover scents and treating it the right way. But again, that's just simple stuff you need to do. And you can buy one of these scent kits for under 20, 30 bucks and have enough uh, wash and deodorant to go for a while and just do it. But you have to do something. I've seen people who go buy the stuff, uh, you know, one of, these new, one of these new clothing sets, hang it up in their closet, and then they, they they go out into the woods never having washed it or anything like that, and they wonder why nothing will come near them. And that's because they smell every single thing that's out there. The deer's most powerful weapon he's got is his nose. So you, you don't want to be too much involved in that. Just use the simple stuff cover sense and stuff like that there's a million and one things you can do but again keep it simple that's the that's the military principle keep it simple stupid and if you just wash it bag it zip it airtight should be no problems bobby what do you do
2: i I pretty much do the same thing you do i know a good little tip is in the dryer so just like how your little tip is to run a wash before which is that's a great thing to do I, de- I use descent spray in the dryer. So while yeah. that's running in the washing machine, I spray down my dryer and then that's, that's getting, you know, descenting. And then I, from the wash, I throw it right in the dryer and then I air it out as well. Um, scent lock clothes, you don't really want to wash it that, that much because all the carbon comes out. Yep. So yep. yeah, the, the water will turn black and uh, it's not fun.
0: And And the other thing that you don't do, I understand you don't want your clothes to stick together. Well, they do make special dryer sheets just for hunting clothes that have no scent on them. Don't go through the whole thing of washing your clothes in a special detergent throw them in there and throw in like a little bounce thing of the regular fresh scent, like spring scent, thinking that it's not going to leave a, an odor on those clothes cause it will. So mm-hmm. just use the one that they make for it and throw it in there. The kids usually come with dryer sheets so you can stick them in there. So you don't get any kind of static on them or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. And you learn that from people who have done it before. Um, sometimes people don't know anybody who's done this before and that happens. Um, again, research it, see what the best thing to do. But in your case, you got the kit, you ordered it already. Now, you know what to do with it. And you're not going to wait until the day the night before you go on hunting and say, what am I supposed to do here? (laughs) But uh, that's basically all there is to that. So anybody else got anything? Oh, well, if you don't, I mean, we've, (laughs) we've been here an hour doing this and uh, we covered a couple topics, especially with the Lister stuff. I think this has been a lot of fun. Um, we can, is. it always is, and we can, we can go ahead and, and build up a bunch of questions for the next time we do this. I think we do this once a month, probably be good. Um, especially we get more listener questions in there, um, or even when if you see any of us down when we're at the range, if you have a question and you want us to cover it in the podcast, then just ask, and uh, we'll be sure let, to cover let it let on
1: there. Let us all know, yeah, let us all yeah.
0: know. you know, it could be arrow building, could be something tuning the bow, or how to shoot a specific type of target. Whatever it is that you want covered, we'll, we'll put it on here. I mean, we went on a couple of little tangents on this one, hunting clothes and stuff like that, but it's all about trying to share information out there, and um, if we can enlighten anybody, hey, then we're, we're good with it, you know? But uh, I thank you guys for coming on. This has been a big, you know, big, hopefully, it'll be a, a recurring thing for us, and uh, we had a good time. Well, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Uh, we had a good time recording this episode and look forward to doing more in the future. Again, as always, if you have any questions, please submit it, submit them to our website at highpowerarchery.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. And uh, as always, like we say, it's never goodbyes until we see you again. So, thanks. Shoot straight. Stay safe.